The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 116. A sequel to Marvel Studios, The Incredible Hulk. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. You must realize that what I'm about to tell you is very sensitive both to me and the army. Sequel Quest's work was very early phase, trying to develop a super podcast to entertain the world. They were so sure about what they were doing that they tested the show on themselves, and something went very wrong. Or, it went very right. As far as I'm concerned, their whole podcast is property of the U.S. government. Hey there, Sequel Questers! The show is feeling mean and green tonight, so allow me to introduce you to the gamma-powered crew of podcasters ready to bring you big fun. Proof positive that the madder Hulk gets, the more opinionated Hulk gets. It's Jeff. (laughs) Always the opinions. That's me, (laughs) Jeff Smash! And he won't mind if you call him the Red Hulk. It's our favorite ginger podcaster, Jeremy. Jeremy! Smash! Oh, he's been practicing, folks. And currently sipping on a Guadana soda that had a little more kick than I was looking for. I'm Adam. Adam Smash! But don't go busting out of your shirt and shoes just yet, because we've got another freak of nature, or is he a freak on a leash, joining us this time around. Regular listeners to the Retro Network podcast feed know him as the original holder of the Unified Championships from the TRN Game Night and Situation Jukebox podcast. And if you make your way over to the RetroNetwork.com monthly, you'll find his work reviewing pro wrestling, music, movies, cartoons, and comics of the 80s and 90s. It's Kevin Decent. Kevin Smash? <laughs> oh, we are glad to have you here. I know when I was mentioning this show coming up to our fellows over on the Retro Network, you just had some comments and I just said, hey, by the way, uh, you seem pretty interested. You want to be on the show? I, I wasn't even trying to invite myself. It just worked out that way. The idea for the show actually came from an episode recently of the Wizards podcast. Episode six, if you're interested, was Heavy Into the Hulk. And that is a podcast, if you're not listening, where Michael Kennedy, another sequel quest guest host that we've had on quite a bit, the two of us get deep into the comics of the 90s and we go issue by issue of Wizard Magazine, which was kind of the official source for all the news and fun you wanted back in the day. And so I just kind of mentioned as we were talking about movies, you know, somebody should do this kind of movie with the Hulk. And thus this episode came around. But also, we're recording on St. Patrick's Day Eve, so listeners may be wondering why we're not doing a Leprechaun-based film, you know, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, Warwick Davis and the Leprechaun films, but, you know, we figured the Hulk is green, so we're still being festive. (laughs) Uh, So this is my first question for everybody as we get our discussion going, because, you know, the Hulk, very popular in pop culture, and really, of the Marvel characters, probably the most popular in terms of 
media and has really been around for a long time in that space. But obviously, like all Marvel characters, he started in comic books in 1962, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. He was actually the second major creation of that new Marvel age of comics. There was the Fantastic Four, then there was the Hulk. So where are we all at in terms of having read Hulk comics? Uh, Kevin, why don't we start off with you? In, in all the long boxes that are just to the side of me here, there's not that many Hulk comics. <laughs> um, it was one of those ones that I always knew what was going on, though, because of Wizard Magazine, Marvel Age, when that was still coming out, all the Marvel crossovers. Like, I didn't really have to read it to know what was going on. And I wish I did, though. Someone I do a different podcast with is actually a moderator for an Incredible Hulk group on Facebook. And now I'm seeing just every day, you know, information on this great storyline, that artist. And my appreciation of all that the Hulk has been has grown and grown. But now, for those of you that don't know, the number one horror comic out right now is Hulk. Getting back to his roots, because he started out basically, yeah, as a monster book. That's what that was. He wasn't a superhero, per se. No, when uh, the thing that's been sort of forgotten about over the years as these characters have become superheroes is when Stan started, it was the monsters were huge in comics. The thing is in Fantastic Four. Hulk is a monster. Spider-Man sounds like a monstrous character. He kind of padded all these within the monster world that was already popular, and then they stood on their own as superheroes and kind of left behind their monster roots in a way. But the current comic, which is the Immortal Hulk, spoiler alert, but the first issue came out like three years ago now, so I'm trying to get you all hooked on it. Wasn't he reborn with, uh, crossed with Wolverine, or was that a different line? That's a different character. Talking. Okay. There's a character called Weapon H, so the Weapon X and H for Hulk. Wow. (laughs) It looks like if Marvel tried to do Doomsday. It's really what Uh, Weapon H looks like. Yeah, it sounds like they just did amalgam with their own characters now. They're just like, yeah, we'll just put all our characters together. They really (laughs) did, but it was written well, so it, it... It stood on its own for as long as the comic was coming out, and then once it ended, no one's picked up the character since. So he's just kind of hanging out there for now. (laughs) But no, the Mortal Hulk, which came out about three years ago, Bruce Banner just wandering like he does, trying to isolate himself, and he happens to be out there during a robbery, a holdup, and he gets shot during it, and Banner dies. This is first couple pages of the first issue. Other people die, innocents, during this robbery as well. The sun goes down, Banner's still dead, but the Hulk rises. The Hulk can now come out. The Hulk isn't dead, but Banner is. And once once it's nighttime, the Hulk can come out. So this... That's a pretty good premise. And is it like Ghost Rider, basically? Is he, like, punishing the guilty? Kind of, but it's getting insane. He's becoming sort of a protector of the planet. Mm. So who he battles against is getting bigger and bigger and the tease is with him being the moral hulk every every storyline which coincidentally gets collected into a graphic novel every storyline will have a moment where you're like well he's dead clearly he's dead how could he come back from this and then the next issue you go you gotta be kidding me 
well, that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, that it's gone that far. When you you think about the basics of the character, you know, you you have a scientist working on a gamma bomb, goes out to save a kid who's out in the blasting test field, and he gets caught in the blast, and then now he turns into this brutish character. And so, yeah, the idea that when you've been doing that for 60 years of the Hulk, I mean, it's a long time, and so yeah, you gotta freshen it up. Ultimately, you can only have the Hulk wandering the planet for so long. But then Jeff... So I know you were reading comics, you know, in the 90s. So did the Hulk ever cross over into any book you read? Or did you pick up issues yourself? I think I had, I had like two Hulk comics that I got just in various like grab bags or something like that. And they were always moderately interesting. He did pop up because I had a subscription to, to Spider-Man for a while. And he did pop up in one of those back when it was the neon green Hulk. Professor Hulk is I guess we would know him today. And I don't know. It was just, it was always very like, why would I read this comic? There was just nothing about him that sounded interesting or intriguing or identifiable to me. Kind of the only thing for me that branched over was getting to finally read The Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars. Yes, it was designed just to sell action figures, but getting to see if you guys have read that one where the the Molecule Man drops a mountain range on all of the heroes, and then the camera, so to speak, zooms in, and there's the Hulk holding the entire mountain range on his back. I'm like, Mm. okay, that's pretty awesome. So then I got got it at Barnes & Noble, but I don't think Barnes & Noble made them. There were those essential books that came out that was the first, like, 40 issues or yeah, whatever. I remember you had those in your trunk, like, at yeah. work. Like, you'd have, like, a Hulk one. It was just these yeah. essentials books, yeah. <laughs> those were the ones that I would always be reading. And so I did. I, I have the, the essential Hulk, so I did read the first, whatever, 20, 30 issues. And kind of the same thing, where I'm like... No, I just it just doesn't it just doesn't do it for me. So it does seem like 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 you guys have said, I know over the years he's had some great writers and it's it's a lot of times about the people, you know, that he goes against. And I think I think the Hulk too also has that same problem that Superman has. Like how do you find someone strong enough to actually compete with the Hulk? Unless right. you want to depower the Hulk, which they've done at various times. Like we said about the Red Hulk and the Gray Hulk and stuff like that. But yeah, it, I, I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't always work for me. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, the Hulk in his earliest incarnation, that first Incredible Hulk book only lasted six issues. It was like he came out of the scene, you know, he's a gray monster, then by like the third issue, he's a green monster because the printer couldn't keep it uh, right, consistent yeah. with the grays. And so they said, well, we'll turn him green then, that'll work. And then his comic was over. But what was interesting is even though he didn't have a monthly title anymore, he was like the perennial guest star. So he he'd be in the Fantastic Four books. He was in the original few issues of the Avengers, you know, and things like that. So he was in and around and always battling somebody, you know, especially his throwdowns with the thing, you know, were always a big deal. I think he fought Thor a couple times, you know, in those early days. But yeah, so it was it was one of those things where the concept of the Hulk, you know, was so strong that he was always going to appear. But then he starts getting his own book, you know, just a little bit later. He was, I believe he was in Tales to Astonish. I think he shared that book with another hero for a while really where the hulk like we say has had his most high profile moments is 
in merchandising and in television in fact you know when you think about it the hulk his first appearance in some type of animated form was in 1966 so there was a hulk cartoon back in the day that was running and it was kind of one of those stiff animations you know where it's mostly just cutouts from the comic book has anybody ever seen the, those super old uh episodes of the hulk yeah not nearly as popular as the spider-man show from that era no, but all of those from that style are, are kind of sad to watch in a way because <laughs> they make those late night who in the hell approved these Adult Swim cartoons look like high art. Yeah. <laughs> barely, barely moving. So you had that and that was kind of okay. People had that and people enjoyed just the Hulk in general seeing him around. And then, of course, in 1977, they produced the Incredible Hulk TV series, which, yeah, I mean, that, that was like probably the most iconic version of the hulk with bill bixby as bruce banner lou ferrigno as the hulk and then the show goes on from 1977 to 1982 i mean it just kept going and going in fact it ended the day i was born literally may 12th 1982 was the last episode of the incredible hulk i killed the hulk (laughs) coming into this world but i'm very curious about that particular series because like i say so many people hold that as like the high watermark it's you know it's right there adam west batman you know for so long those were the two Mm -hmm. you know linda carter wonder woman of course as well as far as television goes did you guys catch this series in syndication and reruns is it a favorite for any anybody kevin how about you it was it for superheroes on tv for the longest time and there's a i found a picture a couple years ago of me at i don't know five six years old wearing incredible hulk under roofs (laughs) (laughs) and i know i know i watched it and i remember i think he was on i think mr rogers maybe did an episode where he went to see the Hulk. right yeah um and saw like the makeup process and everything but when most of us were growing up, and most people listening to this as well, you might see Adam West Batman if a channel chose to show it in syndication. You might look out and have the Spider-Man cartoon, and Hulk was pretty heavily in syndication still, thankfully. And that was it for anything superheroes. Ooh, okay, if uh, the Batman Robin episode Scooby-Doo showed up. <laughs> Superhero was a dirty word when we were growing up. There wasn't anything, so the Hulk was like a beacon to anyone into comics or superheroes even if it was only on you know randomly in the middle of the night on a nothing channel that no one else ever watched us comic fans would find it but even the public at large i mean critically it was a show that did well like if you go back like people respect that show it wasn't just like oh man that show was always on it was like literally people were like oh no that was a good show bill bixby is amazing jeff did you ever catch that when you were watching a team reruns or anything no i mean again like we're it's it's kind of obviously we're too young to have caught it live and that wasn't really the kind of thing i don't think my parents watched it much so there wasn't much of exposure to it i was definitely aware of it that's obvious but i don't remember actually watching a full episode especially because i feel like by the time i was old enough to appreciate it then i didn't appreciate like the visuals of it then just seeing lou ferrigno just painted green i was just kind of like what (laughs) yeah it it didn't quite work for me It, it is a pretty dated show overall to me i think where i caught and understood that 
version of the Hulk that everybody revered so much was the television movies. So they were these three TV movies that ran in 1988, 1989, 1990. So you had the Incredible Hulk Returns, which teamed up the Hulk with a live-action Thor. Those are atrocious. Oh, but they're so fun. <laughs> they're terrible, but they're fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's goofy. Uh, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk with the worst version of Daredevil you'll ever see. Got black nylons on. I don't know what that guy was wearing, but it was uh, not looking good. And then the Death of the Incredible Hulk, no guest star, just trying to say, yes, this is what it was all about, and here's the end. Him falling from a helicopter. <laughs> that was that was how he died, which we find out in another film is not how you kill the Hulk. No. But what was interesting about those movies is that they were actually meant as backdoor pilots for new superhero franchises. They were trying right. to start a Thor television show. They wanted to do a weekly Daredevil show, but just nobody liked those guest stars. They still just wanted the Hulk. Do you guys remember catching those ever on TV? Like, where have you seen them, Jeremy? mostly infamously through clips on YouTube. Because uh-huh. that was appointment television for me. Like, I didn't see that original series ever, but when I saw an ad on television that said, there's an Incredible Hulk movie Tuesday at, you know, at 8.30, I'm like, I will be there. <laughs> uh, just like Kevin was saying, any type of comic book, you're going to grab it. There was even during that run a proposed She-Hulk pilot and so they actually had test photos, you know, they had done the makeup work and everything with Brigitte Nielsen was going to play the <laughs> She-Hulk. <laughs> Red no. Sonia, She-Hulk, just basically by the time the death of the Incredible Hulk happened, they were just like, yeah, we, we think the bloom's off the rose. Hulk is pretty much done. Mm. At the end of the TV series in 82, there was an Incredible Hulk animated series that was fully animated from Sunbow Productions, kind of in the same vein as Spider-Man and his amazing friends or you know gi joe any of those types of productions but i remember catching it a few times plus you could rent the videos you know at the video store of those episodes which was always cool in 1996 there was an incredible hulk animated series that ran you know the, the era of batman the animated series and spider-man the animated series all of that so the hulk eventually got his there was like a fantastic four series there was an iron man series at this time and to me the Incredible Hulk from 1996 is the best version of the character in any media because it was a serialized story. It didn't focus just like on a villain of the week and it was self-contained. It all flowed in a linear fashion like they referenced past episodes. And most of all, it introduced She-Hulk in a great way, just like a great characterization, very fun, and ended up incorporating a lot of other Marvel characters, you know, Iron Man and Doctor Doom, whoever else. And, and this is on Disney Plus right now. So if, no, if you haven't seen this particular series, guys, you should really seek it out. Uh, but do you guys have any memories of that, Kevin? That show was made exclusively for UPN, and it was arguably the best show on UPN. (laughs) (laughs) Better than Homeboys in Space? Shocking, Mm -hmm. I know. But growing up, my area, the person who owned the local UPN affiliate tried to create his own cable competition years earlier. So our local cable company refused to carry UPN because he owned it and he used to be their competition. So I never got to see anything on UPN unless you could get uh, bunny ears going just right. Because since it was a local Mm -hmm. station, they did have a, you know, a signal going. 
I could never get Hulk to come in, and I could only get SmackDown when that was on UPN around the same time, maybe once a month, like the stars would align and I could <laughs> yeah. get it to come. <laughs> well, since you mentioned wrestling there and Vince McMahon's exploits, uh, a little fun fact I'm sure you could fill us in on, Kevin. What is the connection between the WWF at that time and the Hulk character at Marvel Comics? All right. So for those of us that were reading comics as children of the 80s or shopping in you know long gone places like toys r us and hills and kb toys anything with hulk hogan on it would have a little copyright copyright marvel comics and nothing else did none of the nwa wcw guys had it and no one else certainly in wwf ever had it no roddy piper or you know macho man or whatever it was just this odd thing of hulk hogan and hulkamania copyrights marvel comic so what happened was many many moons ago Wrestling was kind of carved up into territories. So pretty much if you think of every state as its own territory, you're pretty much there. Some of them would cross over, some would combine smaller states. But if you think of each state, it would have their own group. You're close to it. So Hulk Hogan at the time was called Terry Boulder, and he was on a local talk show just talking about wrestling you know here's the vet coming up here's this coming up coincidentally lou fringo was also on that day so they're looking at lou fringo and they're looking at hogan who is bigger than him Hmm. and said well there's your real hulk right there (laughs) and hogan's about six seven six eight depending on you know who's booking him at the time walks around well he's slimmed down now but at his prime 300 pounds for sure in his you know saying prayers and eating vitamins and going gym every day prime and nothing else ever in his system (laughs) so the local wrestling group he was working with just took the name and ran with it and started calling him the hulk and then the the incredible hulk and just kept rolling with it now when hogan got signed by wwf and vince mcmahon who were also now going national they weren't staying in their little state territory they became the national billion dollar company they are now now marvel's interested hey we didn't care when you were just you know performing cut in front of a couple people in random small towns but now that you're on national tv calling yourself the hulk we need to sit down and have a meeting because that's our copyright and it has been for far longer than you've used this right so marvel and wwf sit down and work out a deal the deal was let's see here they could no longer call him the incredible hulk but they could still call him hulk Marvel would receive $100 for every single match that Hulk Hogan wrestled in for the next 20 years. Mm. (laughs) Wow. And 8% of the profits. Matches alone, if you just go with all the matches that he wrestled, they made at least a million dollars over the years. And that's not including their cut of all the merchandise money as well. And they still went bankrupt in the 90s. Come on. (laughs) Now, over 20 years later, because he was still active, because wrestlers can never retire, Hogan ended up buying the rights to the name himself from Marvel. So Mm -hmm. WWE now does not own the name Hulk Hogan. Terry Bollea owns the name now. That is fascinating. Wow. You know, there there you have it again. The Hulk name. It's a moneymaker, really. All all the big dogs went in on it. And so we're, we're talking about these TV shows and TV movies and everything like that. But there hadn't been a Hulk film, right? You know, by this point, we had gotten Superman in theaters multiple times. We had Batman in theaters. And Avi Arad, there's that name that always comes up when you talk about anything Marvel pre 2000 
2008. It was all Avi Arad owning the rights to make these films. And so he's trying to get one going in 1990. And so he's got all these writers. You know, there was an idea that, you know, the Hulk's going to fight terrorists. You know, the Hulk fights the army and General Thunderbolt Ross. Hey, there's a novel idea. It's been in the comics all these years. Hulk fighting mutated bug men, you know, and then Stan Lee was involved in, in the development in those early days. By 1997, Joe Johnston is going to direct it and jj abrams is one of the people working on a rewrite you know so there's all these people coming in and out in and out of the process but the budget kept climbing as they're like developing these huge massive you know epics and it's, it gets to like a hundred million dollars with all the cgi they were gonna use prosthetics and even animatronics you know oh, like so, so they had to postpone and redevelop it and bring it down bring it down bring it down until it ultimately fell to of all people, the director of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Ang Lee, in 2003. So I am so curious, when you guys, you know, found out there was a Hulk film coming to theaters, was there a tinge of excitement? Was Ang Lee's name being attached confusing? Do you remember seeing it? How about you, Jeff? Let's start with you. Did you go to theaters to see the Hulk in 2003? I don't think I've actually seen that Hulk ever. Really? Like, not all the way through. Uh, yeah. I was not excited when it came out, and I haven't been excited since. <laughs> Nothing to pull you in, yeah. No. Uh, how about for you, Kevin? I remember actually being excited for it, and I went through a phase where I was a huge Crouching Tiger and Dragon fan, so I was like, ooh, what are they going to do with this movie? I was expecting it to be very pretty, at least. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. Okay, we're, we're going here. Oh, this is not what I would do. <laughs> okay did they read a comic ever and then that then i'm like i got a hulk movie i can be happy for that it was weird but i got it maybe they'll do better next time and that was my so you just maybe, had maybe they'll make enough money <laughs> I, I was just like this this was not good but maybe it's a start and the the thing i'll always compare it to most of us have, you know, smartphones or things like that, is the Apple Newton and the, the classic Simpsons. Yeah, eat up, Martha. Yeah. <laughs> the Apple Newton had to exist so we could learn from it and we could have iPhones today. So right. I'm like, maybe this Hulk movie had to exist so we can learn from it and have something better later. And that was my mm -hmm. hope after seeing that movie. Jeremy, was this like your childhood Hulk? Tell us what you thought about the Hulk in 2003. Uh, well, it, it was early in my superhero intake. I did see this in theaters. I did see the Spider-Man trilogy in theaters as well. You gotta hand it to them for trying. They they were pretty heavy on the the comic book motifs, the transitions, very comic booky. But beyond that, it was kind of hollow. Yeah, see, like, I did not see this in theaters. I was actually living in Brazil at the time with no chance to go to a theater, but I was seeing All a right. lot of merchandising and promotion just, like, on the streets and in stores and stuff. I ended up with a Hulk mask from a Brazilian <laughs> fast food Middle Eastern restaurant called Habib's. <laughs> it's very big yeah. in Brazil, Habib's. But so they had, like, this really awesome plastic mask that you would get with when you bought a meal. So I picked that up, at least. I was like, this is my 
my connection to the film. So when I got back to the States, it was one of the first DVDs that I watched in 2004. And then I bought it because I was just like, it was so cheap. It was in a discount bin already just a year later. So I bought it and my friend Bill wanted to borrow it and I gave it to him. And then when he asked, he's like, do you want it back? I'm like, I was like you can keep it. I don't need this movie ever again. I mean, like you said, it was, it was too serious. So it became very like lifeless and boring. You mentioned Jeremy Angley is obsessed with recreating comic book panels, but not in a way that makes sense in filmmaking. Like it doesn't enhance the story at all. It's not like right. a De Palma thing where you have a split screen. Like he really didn't do anything that helped. Then Eric Bana for me as Banner, he just isn't believable. His growling, angry voice before his transformations is worse than Bale's gritty Batman voice. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I find interesting is that Ang Lee actually performed all the Hulk motion capture. So that when you see the Hulk on screen, that's Ang Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> but unfortunately, the creature on screen looks like, you know, a neon green Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade balloon. And then that concept of the angrier the Hulk gets, the larger Hulk gets. That was yeah. very distracting throughout that movie. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Did they just not do their proportions correctly with the CGI here? Oh, no, no, no. They did that on purpose. That's odd. And But like I said, originally, there's actually video you can find online of the robot Hulk armature and the big sculpture that they were going to put around it in pre-production that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to create, and it looked amazing. Like, it, just the mobility, but Ang Lee had just had this faith in ILM. You know, he got Industrial Light and Magic involved, and they did an okay job for the time. It just, it really doesn't hold up, and there wasn't enough of the Hulk, and when he was there, it was just kind of like, eh... He's fighting dogs. Not super right. excited about this. The only nice thing I can say about it, because I did just watch it for the first time, you know, in however many years uh, this week in preparation for the show, Sam Elliott gives a great, uncharacteristic performance, you know, as this hard case, distant father, you know, playing Thunderbolt Ross. Because we're so used to Sam Elliott being this, like, sage, kind of cool, laid-back dude. And it's so weird to see him serious, straight-ahead kind of guy. Well, I mean, Nick Nolte as the father, that still played into his, who he was at the time yeah right <laughs> i mean like i think that's what everybody thought nick nolte was They're like yeah just come in let him say whatever he wants but then five years later what was going on was it was a successful film in theaters you know financially he was trying to get a sequel going at universal so you know ang lee gonna come back there was a script that was actually going to be the gray hulk fighting the abomination but universal was super slow getting the production started so the deal was made during that time, this recently formed Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige saying, hey, we'll produce the film, Universal, you can distribute it. And so it comes out that fateful summer of 2008, you know, we got Iron Man and the Hulk. One would kind of survive better than the other, I guess you would say. But we'll talk about that. But basically, it's a soft reboot of the 2003 film or it sequel. Is. They reference that Banner's been on the run in South america for five years but they purposely distanced themselves from the cerebral take that ang lee was doing and they got rid of doing any type of origin story they just said let's make it like the bill bixby tv series that everybody loves 
let's just amp that up so i'm curious about you guys ed norton is the hulk just the the story in general were you a fan kevin when you saw this one did it meet more of your expectations was it that next step you were hoping for it was certainly better and my now wife and i just started dating our first date was actually iron man oh so it became we see every marvel movie together so it was more like i have good memories of it because it was relationship is still new and just starting this is a thing we're doing together and building on and everything and one of my first visits to see her because we're living in separate towns she's like well what are you into bring some comics so i brought like a bunch of vertigo and you know your classics (laughs) and so she was getting into comics too so it was like exciting for her to be like oh there's you know iron man like oh my gosh there's nick fury at then what's going on and all the post credits all the easter eggs and everything i have such good memories because it was so fun to be discovering this new world that now you know years later we're all enjoying together so it's a romantic film for you (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like how when we look if we look at star wars new hope very objectively and seriously there's a lot of holes in it And there's a lot of silliness, but we're always going to love it as a kid, no matter what. So I know that Hulk movie is not perfect by any means, but it's always going to be special. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? Did you decide to see this one then? Uh I did. I believe I saw this on TNT, aired with commercials and everything like that. Because it it would have been right about the time the Avengers came out. And since I'm a purist and I'm always going to like the one that came before. So I was I was very disappointed that uh, Edward Norton didn't stick around because I do I do really like I get the feeling that I shouldn't like Edward Norton as a person, but I do like him as an actor. And Mark Ruffalo, I don't enjoy Mark Ruffalo as a person or an actor. So when he got replaced, I, I was I was not a fan. Not necessarily because this movie was brilliant, but it, I mean, like it did what it needed to do. You know, I felt like the biggest flaw was that it was a little too small for a Hulk movie. Like I felt like the stakes were not quite big enough. Tim Roth is always a gamble because you know he doesn't do subtle. Not that you really go for subtle in a Hulk movie, but, you know, he's going to kick it up to 11 whenever he can. So for him as the abomination was, I don't know, I guess, again, it's hard to complain about that, but there was definitely some holes. uh, And I feel like if it wasn't for Iron Man, like, this would not have launched the MCU on its own. Like, this was just not, there was nothing to get that excited about. Right, well... Iron Man came out in May. This came out in June. So they were back to back, basically. Mm -hmm. The whole Edward Norton thing, that's an interesting rabbit hole to dive down into because the director, Louis Leterrier, (laughs) wanted Mark Ruffalo initially. Um, But Marvel insisted on Edward Norton. Why did they insist on Norton? Well, that's because Lou Ferrigno recommended Norton because Ferrigno was a fan of Norton who reminded him of the late Bill Bigsby from the long-standing TV show, and Norton was a big fan of the series. So not only did they finish the script and then bring Norton in, they also let Norton rewrite the script. Like, he gave it a Passover so that it would be a continuation sequel but also reboot the character so that it could spin off into the greater Marvel universe. So it was Norton who added a lot of these additional characters into the script, and it's just, 
I, I just finished watching it earlier, and I'm surprised how much they just wedge in there, tease in there, all the Captain America little tie-ins and whatnot, the, the Vita Rays, and it's incredible. And they also said that Norton was rewriting things on set in order to reshape the dialogue around how he feels Banner would actually be thinking and going through the motions and saying things. And it's, I guess, sad. Norton wasn't available when they were looking to bring him back in. Also wasn't willing to sign away his life to keep appearing in Marvel movies. Well, and I remember at the time, right after the movie came out, then there was like the huge controversy with Ed Norton being mad that he didn't get screenwriter credit, even though he had rewritten a bunch of stuff but it was yes. because they mm. cut out all the extra stuff he wrote they got rid of it so if i have the blu-ray and they said i think total they did like 70 minutes of stuff because there was all the early stuff at the beginning which was kind of like the leading into the story like the origin story that they just did as the flashback during the credits right. but then there's all in his the scenes that he wrote where he's like psychologically trying to deal with it there's the infamous Captain America in the ice scene that was supposed to open right. it where he's trying to shoot himself and it doesn't work you know that Mark Ruffalo actually uh, mentions in the Avengers film yep. yeah but there was like all this stuff that Marvel's covered I was like oh you know Ed Norton's difficult to work with all this stuff but all these years later and over the years, Ed Norton said, like, no, 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 no. There, we had creative differences. I wanted to take it down a dark, very serious road that wasn't what Marvel's heads wanted at the time, but it wasn't Kevin Feige. He says, I respect Kevin Feige, right. and we get along well, and I have no ill will towards Mark Ruffalo replacing me because we started in the business together, so I'm, I'm more than happy to have him, and we're just, we're both guys who got to play Bruce Banner. And so, like, his story, I feel like it was more publicists and studio heads that were arguing and it was less you know edward norton and kevin feige it was kind of like other people involved in the story just going back and forth at the time making it seem like a bigger deal than it was it's like oh ed norton's not playing ball you know so anyway i, I just found that interesting over the years as i've studied that and especially recently it's come out even more clearly it is oh, also nice. that thing though too is like what are you gonna say 10 years later you know so yeah mm, uh, <laughs> you know who knows revisionist history and because yeah i heard the same thing too is that supposedly he wanted uh, like final script approval and rewritability on the Avengers and they uh, weren't willing to give him that and blah 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 blah. but not only that like and that's the thing that we forget is that even Robert Downey Jr. I mean when Robert Downey Jr. was given Iron Man he was damaged goods there were plenty of people saying like you're really giving this drug addict this role like kids are gonna see this movie and most of the people that they got it took a while Scarlett Johansson is probably, although even she was kind of like towards the start of her stardom uh, right. to really get some big, notable actors. I mean, I remember even like when Winter Soldier came out and Robert Redford was in that. That was surprising. Like, oh, my gosh, you guys got Robert Redford. And, right. you know, it totally makes sense if the case was, listen, I'm not going to be doing kids movies for the next 10 years, you know, because Edward Norton is a very serious actor. And I mean, he's. 
Oscar caliber kind of a guy. So yeah, and like, and I'll say, like for me, I like what Ed Norton did in this movie. At least, you know, definitely in comparison to Eric Bana, and that's not his fault. I mean, it's how he was directed, is what was written for him. But I like what Ed Norton. Just to me, he has like the right amount of desperation and sincerity and determination. Like that all comes through his, you know, relationship with Liv Tyler, who is not the world's best actress. He makes no. it work. <laughs> And it's same true. with Will- William Hurt is such a great actor that his scenes true. with Liv Tyler and their struggle, their relationship work way better than Sam Elliott and Jennifer Connelly in the 2003 film, just from, you know, their their abilities. But for me, what was most exciting when I saw this film, you know, I said 2003, I missed that film because I was in Brazil. And the first 30 minutes of this movie take place in Brazil, right? Yeah, and there's <laughs> like Portuguese everywhere and I speak Portuguese. So to me, it's like, super exciting they know guarana soda is one of my favorites if i could ever find it imported here you know so it's just like (laughs) it's exciting to see all that represented in it you know and very heartwarming and you know at the same time like the mvp of the incredible hulk from 2008 for me is tim blake nelson as the eccentric scientist (laughs) samuel stearns you know aka mr blue (laughs) that's the one thing i was sad that we didn't get a direct sequel because you know they teased dripping blood sample on his head that he was going to turn into the leader which is who that character is in the comics and we never got that because i think he would have been a hilarious villain to play with and i'm sure he could have flipped the switch and been scary as well but jeremy can you tell us a little bit ultimately why up until this point we never got a sequel and uh, why we're gathered here tonight to try to create one well that infamous universal deal because universal is tied up with producing other movies and they still hold the distribution rights which includes online streaming actual dvds and blu-rays so marvel's just like well we're not gonna give up any pennies off of these movies that we don't have to so that's basically why we haven't seen a standalone hulk movie since and yet obviously mark ruffalo as bruce banner has had quite a journey throughout all the avengers films and thor ragnarok and everything else i mean string those scenes together right and you've got a guy who wow that is some range everything that they've put him through because the hulk seems to evolve differently in every single appearance but is am i understanding correctly and kevin if you've heard this as well but so marvel has received the rights now to the hulk can they do a standalone film where are we at with that I don't think that's been definitively actually revealed. There was rumors in January that the Hulk and Namor rights reverted back to Marvel, but I've not seen anything official. It's all come through second and third hand through like MCU Cosmic, which isn't the most reliable source. So until Disney buys Universal, nothing is certain. I would say there's enough smoke around the fire that it seemed like it was going on, but a lot of the sites that were reporting it, it all goes back to this one insider who talked about the Spider-Man Sony deal years before it happened, the Marvel Fox deal years before it happened. And he has a very good record of being right, but it takes a while for all the, you know, T's to be crossed and I's to be dotted to show that he's right. Hmm. So this rumors from earlier this year, it might take a year or two. It might be, you know, here's a movie and all of a sudden they go, oh, hey, everyone enjoy that movie. Enjoy the thing. And then, by the way, Hulk movie next year spinning off of this. 
Yeah, because, I mean, the most recent thing I had heard was that there's the She-Hulk series in development with Disney+, Plus, and that Mark Ruffalo confirmed that he's going to be Bruce Banner in that series. He, that doesn't mess with the Universal deal, though. That's right. Yeah, I'm surprised that they did not own the She-Hulk rights as part of the Hulk rights. You well, know? come on. You, <laughs> Nobody did anyone wanted She-Hulk. Think... <laughs> Back in 2003, coming off the Ang Lee Hulk, that anyone was going to want anything to do with a She-Hulk movie? Uh, Well, I've already pitched my She-Hulk movie in a previous episode, so when the series comes out, we'll see how close I am to getting it right. I've actually got my She-Hulk figure in front of me now, wishing me luck, (laughs) hoping my pitch gets picked tonight. But I will say, she does not appear. No Jennifer Walters in my pitch for this evening. But I think it's time to get into it because i'm very curious to find out if we were going to get a standalone hulk film these days you know i I don't think that anybody is purporting that ed norton returns but maybe you're envisioning a world where he continued on and it seems like that was maybe jeff's wish so we'll see but kevin do you want to kick us off with your pitch all right jeez pressure (laughs) (laughs) okay i went detailed because as as you know i've listened to many an episode of sequel quest so i wanted to guys model to after put... adam <laughs> <laughs> there's certain episodes and certain pitches that i will pause the episode and run to my wife i'm like listen to this just close your eyes picture this trying to bring the same excitement to it so you guys have put a pretty high bar there and i'm hoping i can at least come close so i am taking everything that has happened and what's currently on deck to happen i'm not taking it just from the incredible hulk movie and ignoring everything else that's happened just preface it so this is mark ruffalo professor hulk is working in an avengers lab he's asking someone new to us for assistance handing him objects directing the new assistant to to tighten screws and such on smaller areas that his hulk hand can't fit into suddenly an alert there's a massive gamma presence right outside Professor Hulk runs outside and sees a small human with a huge head. Hello, my name is Dr. Samuel Stearns. You might remember me. Hulk asks what happened to Stearns. Some of your blood dripped into my wounds as you were fighting with that abomination. Since then, I've taken inspiration from what you have done and what you have been doing to help the world with your gamma powers. In the last few years, I've been bringing the greatest minds to my research facility known as Utopia. I think it's time that you come see what we've been working on, and if you're impressed, I would like to allow you to use our facilities. Professor Hulk is intrigued. Are you in charge of this place? Again, Hulk, we call this place Utopia, and I'm not in charge, but I guess you could call me the leader? (laughs) Hulk (laughs) Hulk explains to the leader that he has built up a partnership with his new lab assistant, and he would like his friend, Rick Jones, to join them. The leader takes Hulk and Rick to Utopia, and it appears to be a technologically advanced facility on the level of Wakanda. The leader informs Hulk that they've created a treatment to heal dead tissue, and he would like to start experimentation on it with the Hulk. The only caveat is that the treatment would only work on Banner, but then the Hulk would see improvement as well upon the next transformation. Hulk and Rick debate this for a while before Professor Hulk begrudgingly accepts and returns to banner form. He receives injections, and while healing, hears a commotion in a neighboring room. Someone yelling, let me in there, let me in there. A door opens, but Banner cannot see who the orderlies are holding back. Sun's getting awfully low. 
Natasha, he thinks. Bam, Banner is punched right across the face. His eyes glow green for a moment, and he looks towards his assailant. Awfully low to leave me for years, Bruce. He turns and sees Betty. You left me, Bruce. Left me to run around and play hero. Now look at you. I don't even recognize your face anymore. Bruce talks to Betty <laughs> and explains how he felt he was protecting not only her, but the world by sequestering himself. Then the Avengers happened and the snap, and he assumed that she had either died or wanted nothing to do with him. Betty asks if there was another woman. Bruce tells her he was on that alien world for so long, and the Hulk acts on his emotions, no matter what those emotions might be. <laughs> he may have had someone special. Betty says she doesn't care about someone from another world. She can't even conceive of such things. Then she drops the bomb. I met that ginger Russian trying to show off in leather. Bruce flashes green in anger at Betty. Do not talk about Natasha ever again. Betty realizes this is too far, and from off camera we hear, awfully low, big guy. Bruce turns and sees Thunderbolt Ross about to hit him, but thinking better of it. Awfully low of you to threaten my daughter, Bruce. But what would I expect from someone who chooses to live his life like a monster? From someone who chose to turn his own cousin into a monster. Banner is angry, but more confused. What are both Betty and her father doing here? Betty explains that thanks to their interactions with Bruce, the leader has invited both Ross family members to Utopia to assist with his research. Bruce tells Thunderbolt Ross that he understands why he and Betty are there, and he hopes one day that they will understand his decisions. But speaking of the research in Utopia, where is the leader? Where is Rick? Bruce starts to wander Utopia. He sees evidence of genetic testing, walls covered in ash and flame, holes in steel. Finally, he finds the tubes, horribly mutated humanoids, obviously the result of genetic gamma testing. Someone hits Bruce from behind and knocks him out. We see a pulsing, oversized brain as it fades to black. Bruce comes to and is trapped. The leader turns Bruce to a wall of monitors and staff examining data coming in fast, just in time for today's test. Bruce watches in horror as the monitors show Rick Jones transforming into the A-bomb and beginning a path of destruction. Bruce fights to escape. He fights to turn back into the Hulk. The Hulk refuses. Bruce is out of ideas and banks his hand against the glass. Again, both hands. Both hands? Bruce looks down and realizes that his hand has healed. His eyes flash. The Hulk smiles. They are one and Professor Hulk emerges. Hulk leaps to the scene of the destruction. He battles A-Bomb, who's not that bad a threat, more of a helpless creature. Hulk subdues his friend as is blindsided once again. I knew as soon as I saw you back that I was going to have to be the one to take him out. Hulk turns to what he knows is Thunderbolt Ross's voice and yells for him to show himself. But wait, it's not Ross. Standing in front of him is a mirror image of himself, but red. Hulk and Red Hulk begin to battle. Ross has been altered by the leader into his own version of the Hulk. He's too strong for Professor Hulk. The weakened state, even with a new arm, is not enough. Red Hulk is destroying Banner. He slams him into a bridge and it starts to collapse. Hulk risks everything to hold it up long enough to guarantee the safety of the community above. The leader's voice appears everywhere all at once. He's destroying his work and unleashing his mutations upon the world. Abom has recovered and gives Hulk a look. The two wordlessly agree they need to race to Utopia to help. 
Red Hulk screaming behind him. Abam is taking out the mutations from the tubes. Hulk is trying to rescue personnel. Buildings start to crumble. He hears Betty scream and his muscles explode and strain as he tries to hold everything together for her to escape. Suddenly the weight becomes a little lighter. He looks to his side and sees the Red Hulk is helping him. I understand now. Red Hulk uses his superior strength to save the people. Betty stays by her father's side, his blood dripping onto her. Red Hulk yells to Hulk. Only one person can stop this. Hulk catches up with the leader and all of his weaponry. He keeps taking hits designed to hurt him. Weapons that his willing transformation back into Banner helped create. Banner may have helped create the weapons, but only the one true Hulk can smash. <laughs> Professor Hulk is no more. And the raging, rampaging, incredible Hulk is once more. He easily dispatches of the leader and the battle is over. Hulk stands over the wreckage. And all seems quiet, but at what cost? Post-credits. An explosion in the desert. Gamma waves of energy everywhere. We zoom into the crater of the gamma explosion and see that there is a spaceship. A hatch opens. And from inside, we hear, where is Banner? Where is Hulk? Where is my father? Da-da-da! Wow. Very nice work, Kevin. Yes, dialogue and everything. <laughs> nice. All right, Jeff, what do you have for us? Okay, well, I'll follow suit as I traditionally do. Although I have to say, this time I didn't stick with subject material as much as normal. I oh. went off and I might have written the same thing that has been done. And actually, as I was reading it, I'm like, isn't this the plot to the previous movie? So it might be, it might be, but nonetheless, <laughs> here's where we land. So I'm actually rewinding this this one, though, since we're in the land of make-believe anyway. So this is going to be as if the tragedy of Ragnarok would have never happened, and uh, we are post-Age of Ultron Hulk. So after Age of Ultron, Hulk is despondent that he just can't control himself, so he tears off back to the United States, and he's trying to escape through the Midwest, and General Ross is back pursuing him. And I would see kind of like an opening sequence. He ends up like like doing his leaping thing that he does, and he leaps into kind of a small town where he sees a newspaper that the front cover has the Avengers featuring the Black Widow at a gas station. And, and that kind of like pauses him long enough that it shakes him into being back into being Bruce Banner. So we see that he can go back and forth. He goes inside to try and like get access to a phone, but the cashier is a real jerk, which of course triggers that anger inside of him and he can't control it. He runs outside before he transforms back into the Hulk and ends up jumping away. He ends up in the city of Des Moines, Iowa, and he starts trashing the city when all of a sudden a mysterious man in sunglasses with very large guns ends up blasting him. And so hard, this gun hits him that the Hulk actually pauses for a moment and looks at the guy and then the guy shoots him again and that second blast is enough to make him turn and run. So as the Hulk is fleeing and the man with the sunglasses just kind of standing there like like a guy with sunglasses would, uh, General Ross <laughs> shows up and then arrests the sunglasses man for, for destroying the, the, the property that he assumes that the sunglasses man has destroyed. Meanwhile, um, Hulk continues his leaps 
and finds himself all the way to New Mexico in a place called Desert State University. Uh, and as he lands at this university, he happens to land right in front of a plaque that's commemorating one of their finest students, one Bruce Banner. When he sees that, again, that kind of makes him pause, which his breath kind of slows down a little bit and actually starts him transforming back into Bruce Banner. Once he does, he decides to seek out his old professor, Professor Crawford, which was his old mentor back at Desert State University, finds him and explains his situation and begs for help. I can't I can't continue living like this. This is torturing me. You have to help me get rid of the Hulk once and for all. And so the, the professor agrees. So they start testing in the lab and, and stuff like that. Meanwhile, back with General Ross, he's now interrogating the man with the sunglasses. Where did you get this gun? Who are you? What's your deal? You know, the whole shebang. But the man is not answering anything. Meanwhile, they've got him contained and whatever. So they end up trying to uh, determine his identity through blood tests. And they can't figure out who he is, but they do find that in his blood is actually super soldier serum, which makes him, them even more confused about who this guy is. But they still can't get and no, no amount of torture or hypnosis or whatever is getting this guy to talk. So finally, General Ross comes back in with the with the, the thought of that I don't know who he is, but he seems to be able to slow down the Hulk. So what if we just set him loose and we just let these two maniacs defeat each other or whatever? Going back to the lab, the experiments are actually going well. Professor Crawford hasn't been able to eliminate the Hulk, but over various trials and errors and stuff like that. And so we'd have kind of like a, a an ongoing thing of it going wrong and the Hulk smashes something. So they have to subdue him and blah, 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 finding all these things. But they have been able to find out that through these treatments, he does seem to be more and more controllable and less and less fury-filled. So the Hulk is, is kind of losing power, it seems. But then we kind of see as the audience that Professor Crawford has secretly been trying um, with these experiments and as he's been extracting these genes, trying to actually figure out if he could pull the strength gene out of these samples that he's taking out of, out of Bruce and the Hulk, and we assume to you know market them or something like that. So at one point in between the tests, Bruce, you know, probably in his blanket like he's always wearing, happens to notice that that's going on. There's these extractions going on, and when he sees this and he confronts Professor Crawford about it, he starts losing control and ends up turning into the Hulk, and the Hulk starts smashing up the lab for real this time. At this point, Crawford sees no choice. Uh, the only way at this point that he can stop this raging Hulk is to inject this formula into himself, and then it transforms himself into another Hulk-like monster. So now, though, the weakened Hulk is no match for this new monster, and so this new monster is smashing him all around the campus, destroying the buildings like the big old you know smash fight sort of a thing like that when all of a sudden our mysterious stranger with the sunglasses shows up with his big honking gun shoots both of them both of them are are stunned um and in fact it so stuns the hulk that he actually transforms back into banner at that point like i would see like the sunglasses guy comes up to bruce banner with the gun but rather than shooting him he actually offers him his hand and helps him up, kind of interrogates him in a very gruff voice, or about, not interrogates him, but asks him, like, what's going on with this situation? And Banner happens to mention something about the Avengers, 
And the sunglasses guy at that point says, oh, you know Steve? But before we can figure out this mystery, the monster recovers and attacks both of them, knocks the gun out of our sunglasses hero's hands. And so while Bruce Banner is still like woozy and stuff like that, so he can't really do much, then the fight breaks out just between the monster and our sunglasses guy. Now the sunglasses guy can't fight him, but he sees these reflexes and the hand-to-hand combat that this guy has is amazing, something that that Bruce kind of notices he hasn't seen since Captain America. But he still can't defeat the monster. So finally, after all of this, we kind of get to the point where Bruce gets to the realization that the only way we can defeat this monster is I need to infect myself back with that Hulk gene. So he does. Hulk is now more powerful than ever. So then he smashes the monster, but also comes to the realization of who he is and what he has become. And so then flees as the man in sunglasses watches him go off to the horizon. What? You've been teasing this mystery of the man in sunglasses. (laughs) You're not going to drop it, name. Come on. If you don't know who he is by now, you got to (laughs) wait for the next movie, my friend. Oh. That's how you do it, man. That's how you build a franchise. Everybody's just for two years just speculating. Who is this man? All right, Adam, take it away. All right. So here's the thing. You know, when you talk about the history of the Hulk, like I said, those first few issues, the Hulk was not this mindless raging beast. He was this gray kind of crafty monster, little grumpy. Like he he, he was just kind of like a big brutish guy. And then that disappeared for a long time. He got much more popular being this out of control rage monster, as he's been called. And then in the late 80s, Peter David with Todd McFarlane brought back the gray hulk and took him from his origins and returned him to that and i just feel like that is what has been missing we've seen so many different variations of the hulk and in all the speculation and everything nobody is talking about the gray hulk who is one of the most entertaining characters so my pitch then uh, unsurprisingly is just called the incredible hulk gray which was the name of a jeff Loeb and tim saul miniseries but that again focused on the early days of the Hulk, and I'm taking this more into later days. This is a post-Endgame world, and so after the events of Avengers Endgame, Bruce is trying to get back to a normal life. We see a comedic montage of how difficult it is to be a Hulk-sized being, with chairs breaking and clothes not fitting and finding a ride in any type of vehicle being almost impossible. Most of all, though, we see that it's hard for Bruce to have actual relationships with humans, even in his smart Hulk form people either want a selfie with the freak but no follow-up conversation or avoid him out of fear which leads to bruce becoming very isolated and bruce starts getting bitter moving out of the avengers compound ignoring calls from what's left of the team realizing that with natasha dead there's no hope for love in his future and none of his quote friends are trying to help him cap got to go back in time to be with peggy tony had a daughter with pepper even vision and android had wanda but he's always the big green outcast needed only for his brain or his brawn and seeing that his prior solution of becoming the smart hulk isn't improving his situation at all he reverts back to his frail human form as a last hope of human connection bruce seeks out betty ross bringing back Liv tyler here who has moved on with her life marrying someone else and raising 
and her family. Betty tells Bruce she began working on a cure for him over several years, but had seen all his world-saving adventures on the news, and it just seemed like he had come to terms with the Hulk persona, so she abandoned the work. She realized that the opportunity for the life they could have had together had long since passed. Heartbroken, Bruce gets drunk alone at a bar, reveling in boisterous black humor that is not going over well with the other patrons. Bruce is rescued from a beatdown by some toughs outside the bar by a young drifter and musician named Rick Jones, played by Shia LaBeouf, who talks to Bruce like a normal person, admitting that he understands what it's like to be down and out. Bruce gruffly tells the kid he doubts it, but Rick still gives Bruce a flash drive with some of his songs on it as a parting gift, saying his music is his truth. Turns out Bruce can actually relax when he listens to this music, but his depression and anger are rekindled when he learns that he is out of cash and won't have a place to live if he doesn't come up with rent money. All these negative thoughts begin to have a psychological effect on Bruce as he begins talking to himself. Soon, a literal new voice begins to emerge in the conversation, encouraging Bruce to use his power criminally for his own benefit. Soon, in dreams, Bruce is battling with the Grey Hulk, Bully, who's voiced by Michael Shannon, who taunts the Green Hulk for being a cowardly whiner. He becomes an insomniac to avoid the confrontations, but ultimately loses that battle and begins to physically change into the Grey Hulk at nightfall, losing all sense of himself. The surly Grey Hulk finds his way to a mafia nightclub, referring to himself only as Joe. Then he approaches the local boss, Mantlo, and asks for work as an enforcer. Mantlo agrees, but only after outfitting the big lug in pinstripe suit and fedora to keep up appearances. Joe is a natural, smashing up cars and physically threatening lowlifes who owe Mantlo's operation money, for which the Grey Brute is handsomely rewarded. In fact, that morning, Bruce wakes up as himself, but finds that he's in a luxury hotel surrounded by all manner of excess in the form of piles of cash, drugs, women. Frightened and bewildered, he runs back to his apartment to collect himself. From within Bruce's mind, Joe begins trying to win Banner to his side, extolling the benefits of their new lifestyle and boasting they'll be running Mantlo's operation within the month. Bruce refuses to accept it and vows to remove Joe from his mind and body, to which the bully replies, Take your best shot. Bruce returns to Betty at her lab and explaining his situation begs for her to bring out the research and tech for curing him. In studying his current state, Betty recognizes that Bruce's gamma-irradiated cells are now multiplied with gray and green battling for dominance within his body, but attempts to extract the gray cells prove to be a slow and painful process. As nightfall approaches and out of time, Bruce flees Betty's lab to protect her. Curious to see this Joe persona for herself, she secretly follows. That night, Joe's assignment is to take out a young punk named Jones, who interrupted a hit on Mantlo's former girlfriend Fran, played by Chelsea Peretti, when <laughs> she and Rick become romant became romantically involved. Courting the couple at a pool hall, Joe was distracted by Banner trying to break through and take control of their body as one side turns green to battle the gray side, but Joe's will is too strong and he subdues Banner once again. Rick and Fran try to escape, but Joe follows. Luckily, Betty then shows up to confront front Joe getting right in his face demanding he leave Bruce alone. Joe laughs her off calling her a daddy's girl and hitting on her a little bit saying she'd make a great piece of arm candy when he's running the show. This is overheard by Mantlo's jealous second in command Mr. David who runs off to report back to his boss. Joe and Betty continue to banter and she does not back down but when in a futile gesture Rick bashes Joe over the head with a cinder block the behemoth quickly turns his eyes back to the kill order. The trio flee in Betty's car and are pursued by Joe who's not as strong 
strong or as big as the Green Hulk, but much meaner. Ripping the top off a semi-truck cab, Joe follows, but now on his trail is a team of Mantlo's goons who have a hit order out on Joe direct from Mantlo. A wild car chase follows, with plenty of big firearms being used to take out the Grey Hulk, but Joe manages to latch a hook and cable onto Betty's car, so she, Fred, and Rick are being dragged all along for the ride. Ultimately, Joe pummels the would-be assassins, including Mantlo, who showed up on the scene to take care of business himself, and decides to kill the trio of troublemakers, just to make Banner cry like a little girl. We then go inside Banner's mind to a knockdown, drag-out, psychic brawl between the Green Hulk and Joe. Meanwhile, Betty realizes that Joe will be weakest at dawn when the changeover takes place, with all the Grey Hulk cells clustering until nightfall, so she should be able to remove them all at once. The battle continues to rage within, while Betty r removes her extracting device from the trunk, and with Rick's help, attaches it to Joe's writhing body as the green color returns to the hulking frame. Joe is now nothing more than a raging tumor in a vial, trying to metastasize and burst out of the container as a tiny, trash-talking version of the Grey Bully, which is then stomped to paste by the Green Hulk as he roars in the light of a new morning. So, Bruce finally returns to his human form as our heroes try to take in all that has just occurred. They enjoy the peaceful sounds of the morning until Bruce asks Rick to pick up a nearby guitar to play one of his songs as credits roll. Jeremy, you got one for us? I do. All right. This movie opens on Sakaar, Gladiator Hulk from Ragnarok, dominating fighter after fighter, victory after victory, celebration after celebration, and beautiful conquest after beautiful alien conquest. One of these creatures births a child after Hulk, Thor, and Valkyrie escape. One day in the future, Hulk returns to Sakaar, now older, bearded, and leads the Grandmaster to find this child fighting in the streets who arranges for the training and development of the child. He becomes the greatest of all champions of Sakaar. All the while, this older Hulk regales the child with tales of Champion Hulk's conquests, fueling his ambition and desires. The child, now a man, grows more and more determined to fight and defeat this once great Champion Hulk. Once older Hulk determines he's ready, they find their way to present-day Earth to challenge the once great champion of Sakaar. Sensors go off at Avengers HQ for a time breach. Bruce is caught off guard, never anticipating anyone other than themselves having used time travel. Bruce has a weird intuition, an inclination that he's to go back to his birthplace. No, not his hometown, but that dastardly site where the Gamma Infusion first happened. Upon arrival, he's ambushed by a lean, mean, and tattooed ball of green fury. Professor Hulk wasn't ready for this battle. Nearly defeated, Banner gives the wheel to Hulk and not only fights to a draw, but wounds the assailant. The assailant slinks away into the woods as Banner regains a hand on the wheel of his mind. He notices the blood on the ground. He watches as the grass and plants grow quickly underneath. But he's able to scoop up some in order to study it and find out what or who he's dealing with. He finds out that this is half his own child. The chromosomes match up and he's shocked that this has happened. We then follow Banner as he goes off seeking after this child, fighting him multiple times, but outsteps the final assailant. And that is Maestro himself. Hulk from the future, dastardly Banner who has gone dark, powered by nuclear war that has ravished the world and left him as the lone conqueror. It is here in the end that Banner must convince 
his own son to turn on the master that he's had in order to defeat him and send him back to the future from whence he came. And this we call Hulk Sins of the Father. Oh, the maestro. I was not expecting that to work his way in. That's cool. I'm just glad that none of us decided to pick up on the hillbilly hulks from the old man Logan story. (laughs) Good job, everybody. I guess. <laughs> and Jeremy unknowingly creating essentially the sequel to Kevin's pitch. So pick it up yes, on that and uh, credit scene. Well, now that the pitches have been given, let's dive in. Jeff, which pitch? Mm, let's see. I, I got to say, I was really drawn in by yours, Adam. It, it almost felt, I didn't see Joker, but for one reason or other, it felt like Joker, where it was a little more gritty and whatever but at the same time i think my thought before about the last hulk movie is that it felt a little small so it was the same thing with this where it's more internal yours was which i liked but for me i kind of want to see a hulk movie be a little bit bigger so i'm going to go with our first pitch going to utopia and the leader all right adam it's so interesting where each of these pitches can take you. Cause yeah, it's like, there's the, what do you want to have? Do you want to have multiple Hulks battling each other? Do you want to have time travel and picking up on the planet Hulk storyline? Do you want to have a continuation from incredible Hulk to me? I think that was the most exciting is saying, okay, what would that leader film have been? Where would they have taken it next? And so for that reason, I, I have to vote for Kevin's pitch as well. All right. Kevin? I was debating and I really wasn't sure. And then as as you guys have been talking, the point was made that Hulk has to be a big movie. So I'm going with the Planet Hulk pitch because Maestro's fantastic. God, what a good character and good pull and would be perfect for a Marvel movie, big villain, but kind of familiar, you know, your your average everyday non-comic reading audience that goes to those movies could figure this out right away. And also, I, I got a soft spot for Greg Peck because uh, he, he sent me books once. So. <laughs> oh, good dude. All right, Jeremy. Well, see, the way these pitches have lined up, you mentioned it, Adam, that mine could fall as a sequel to Kevin's, and and it's already two votes, and I can't vote for myself, so I will vote for Kevin, but I do want to... uh, The caveat of just making the franchise. (laughs) Yes, make it its own sequel to our own sequel. Well, yeah, so I, and I think, you know, in that vein, yours is probably the one that does maybe need a little bit more fleshing out because Kevin's was so well plotted. The question I have, though, is like, Kevin, were we just bringing back Tim Blake Nelson as the leader? Was he just going to be reprising that role? Because he would already be transformed into the leader, I didn't think it really necessarily mattered who played him like i still wanted thunderbolt ross as as the same actor so we're good there i wanted Liv tyler back because i wanted the joke of her saying i don't even recognize you anymore (laughs) (laughs) but leader with how he's gonna look i didn't think it really mattered and it would depend on i I could see logic for you know have the original actor and have him look as close as possible and lighter makeup and then i could see logic of go heavy on the makeup and it could be anyone it could even be i wouldn't want it because i don't think the character needs it but it could even be completely CGI. The only other thing, the only new casting I knew I wanted is I was trying to think of a good Rick Jones, someone young and excitable, but friendly, and just, you know, the perfect 
this guy next door you want to hang out with. And I decided Grant Gustin, who plays The Flash on CW show. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be bad. That's true. And and he could just be like, Ezra Miller, who? I'm in a Marvel movie now. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remind me real quick in your pitch, what was the ultimate fate of the leader in that climax? It was pretty much just that he was defeated and i i kind of saw as uh just so much happening you don't get a good you know clear view of everyone getting defeated you just kind of know they all do and i can't believe i'm doing this to myself but almost like a michael bay transformer movie (laughs) 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 you're distracted by the spectacle Yeah. yeah we know we know the we know the good guys won we don't quite know how but we know they did because they're standing at the end. Okay, so, and obviously, you, you know, you had the Red Hulk in there, so we get William Hurt doing his mocap work, I guess, as, as the Red Hulk. Th- there was a, a thread in there, you said something about gamma-irradiated blood was dripping on Betty? Uh-huh. And we didn't pick up on that either, so is that just another thing, again, that's like the leader at the end of the last movie, you just see there's potential for something? A tease for later, in the comics, Betty is revealed to be Red She-Hulk, Oh, so many, so many Hulk. I got two go-to female characters that I tried to collect everything for that aren't super overexposed, so it's difficult to do it. And Red She-Hulk is one of them, so I was going to work it in there one way or another just because I want that character at some point. The other female one is Gwenpool, and my favorite male character, just to throw it out there for listeners, is Speedball. Ah, <laughs> not not penance. You mean you not like penance, speedball? right? Yeah. <laughs> not penance, not penance. Oh. Because I t- I tweet at Marvel and I tweet at AJM and I tweet at Hasbro for every con, whether it's a Comic Con or a toy convention or a toy fair or a show. And I'm like, when are we getting our speedball care- figure? There's never uh, been a speedball figure. And someone goes, there's a penance mini mate. I'm like, penance doesn't count. That does <laughs> not count. Why would they make a penance and not? Oh, well. And it's a mini mate, too. It's not a, a real figure. And the other thing that I'm imagining, speaking of, like, you know, other Marvel characters, is I feel like there's got to be a lot of Easter eggs in Utopia, right? You're seeing all these different creatures and things he's working on. So you're going to drop, you know, in addition to the Red She-Hulk, you're, you're going to drop a lot of stuff in the background that characters, oh, I can't believe yeah, that, you know, he's definitely going to come out. Or you see, like, you know, even a supposedly dead character's body in the morgue, you know, and maybe he's working to resurrect you know somebody who's been killed again familiar more to the mcu audiences so there's like oh really you know like crossbones isn't dead or whatever even though he was pretty much blown to bits but (laughs) you could have hulk dog carcasses yeah see it's just really really mess with people you have the nick nolte cloud monster like swirling in some type of glass tube you you could have a tube of just like electricity that all of a sudden makes a face and have zacks See, so much to work with. So I, I just feel like that's an essential part of that as well. As we go from there, though, so you have Scar, son of Hulk, right, is his official name? Yep. Yes. Is who we're dealing with, and that's where Jeremy's focusing his story. So, Jeremy, the question I have, the just the time travel element that didn't make sense to me, is the story taking place in Maestro's future? No, it's taking place in our present day. Okay, so our Maestro MCU has present come back. Day. Yes. So he has been back, and he has been guiding whatever Scar has been doing. Yes, so that's the thing. On Rag- In Ragnarok, we find out that Sakaar, the junk planet, 
time moves differently there. So Maestro has found his way to Sakaar in search of the child in order to take down past Hulk for some reason. And so we, we would flesh that out because, yeah, so that that was kind of my next question then. So in the grand scheme, seeing as Maestro is a schemer, what do we imagine he is trying to accomplish then? Because obviously him being a version of Banner in the future, he knew he would have had a son that he could go back and find, right? So that kind of makes sense. But what does he think he's going to do? Is he looking to populate a planet? Is it a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker thing, you know, to get will rule the galaxy what do you guys think you know jeff or kevin do you have an idea or jeremy did you have a master plan in mind uh mainly i think it was just to power himself back up something happens in the future to where somebody's actually challenging him for leadership and domination and his long game plan is to somehow recharge himself i guess use eventually his son scar to rebirth the planet after the nuclear war lost in dead world basically in the future right and that was my thought it was like does maestro want to rule that world because it is a new beginning so it's an easy win for him or does he want to come back and rule this lush full world you know that that has all the resources and everything that he would want that might be his backup plan because if he's thinking that he can somehow stop the nuclear holocaust of the future that might be the better route for him but considering there's so many nukes on the planet i i don't think he's seeing that as a viable option and rather than just bringing his son to the future and sacrificing him for the planet to rebirth it he would go back recharge himself by banner going to that site and then he would defeat his own son and take him to the future at that point but, but I think what it needs to be is this is where you bring in Kevin's Red She-Hulk now, because how's he going to repopulate the planet? So we are getting into the hillbilly hulks after all. Sorry, guys. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I wasn't talking like physically repopulating. But he has to. What I are was... they going to do? They, they want to be a dominant, <sighs> you know, royal bloodline of hulks in the future. So I mean, Betty's not technically blood, right? So that's perfect. And it ties it all in to where they're yeah. going to, you know, take Betty. She's not a damsel in distress because now she's a, a hulk, basically, which is the big reveal moment, you know, right. that Betty finally hulks out. And we would say Maestro had some inclination that that would be the case. Uh, or maybe he has like a measurement device and he can measure the gamma levels in her blood or something and see she has the potential still like whatever the master plan is because what i'm trying to figure out is why obviously bruce wants to protect betty bruce is finding out he has a son so now that's a new relationship he wants to have he doesn't want his son to be corrupted by the maestro is there another immediate threat other because we're saying we want it to be big other than just saving one you know love of his life and one potential son that he could love can we make it that the maestro is like he can't defeat the maestro on his own like he's that much more powerful than yeah so like, that's my idea yes because he has scar right. and maestro fighting him yeah but what i'm saying is does, is is he saving the world is he preventing a catastrophe right. or no is there a way that ultimately Maestro's not a bad guy? To so make kind him... of Thanos-ish that he's got <laughs> ulterior yeah. motives. He's or got good least... thoughts, but just enacting them in a dastardly way. 
Right, or it's or it's that thing of like that we find out, like you guys said, is that what he's actually trying to do is prevent this nuclear holocaust that destroys the earth but the way he goes about it is misinterpreted by uh and then that could even be what does it he's the reason that it sets off maybe exactly that that could work but it's i was thinking like bruce could actually have to call on red she hulk and she actually is the thing that turns the tide but when Maestro realizes that this is Betty who dies in the Holocaust, it's actually that that defeats him. Not they physically beat him to death, but instead his heart is like, oh, my long lost love. I don't know. It just makes him a little more flushed out. Of- yeah, because there's there's that, that emotional element. But I think what it is, is maybe if we just look at it from the case of, okay, Maestro wants to rule. He wants to ensure that he rules. And so what he does is, what if he could direct the apocalypse to one area, meaning he could preserve the most natural resources, rich area or whatever, so that that's where his kingdom is and that's what makes him most dominant because he literally directs the nukes to every other place and destroys the world except for this one little area that now is his you know to build and rebuild from maybe that's the stronger element because then again as an audience we're saying oh he's gonna blow up the world except his little piece now hulk how are you gonna stop this and maybe just on a stakes level we would connect with that better i don't know it just seems like if we were bringing it back down again even though like there's big characters punching each other or whatever there's time travel but i just feel like still ultimately it's a it's a small personal story unless we are saying that maestro is somehow the threat that causes the holocaust kevin you've been very quiet about all this <laughs> i'm just thinking of some way Thanos had a point he went too far but he had a point I'm just trying to think of some way to make the maestro you know you almost understand what he's doing for a while I'm thinking like you know when you see pictures of uh, Chernobyl now and uh, the animals come back and the the plants taking over you know buildings and everything and how nature's slowly reclaiming it that like the maestro comes back to strategically set off nuclear radiation or whatever because in the future in which he rules enough time will have passed that he'll have a paradise hmm. he, he has to destroy the present to give himself a beautiful future so and set it off like, earlier yeah and you're like geez I, I can almost agree with wanting a beautiful reclaimed planet but he's going to destroy everything in our time to get there <laughs> right and it's that mm-hmm. classic like you know people as they are now are just fighting all the time and they're polluting the world and blah 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 so it's like you know really i'm setting things right we need a new beginning every once in a while nature has been lazy about getting it done so i'm just helping it along yeah and <laughs> even if he even if he showed it hey look at the future i'm from you're like wow what a beautiful future how do we get this oh it's easy i just gotta blow everything up now yeah <laughs> He, he comes back with a message of, let's just reboot the world. And I just feel like the very end, you know, maybe the man with glasses show up. Jeff, tell us who he is. <laughs> Kevin, you don't know? It's Winter Soldier, right? Close. Oh. It's it's Nomad. It's Bucky Part 2. Oh, Jack ah. Monroe. Exactly. Wow. Jack Monroe. Awesome. He's from Des Moines. He's got the super soldier serum, sunglasses. Does he have the baby strap to him? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Baby Bucky. <laughs> That's awesome, Jeff. I didn't know you knew that deep uh, Captain America yeah. lore, man. That's one of the few. I have Nomad issue one, and that's the only thing I know about him, other than, I, although I have to admit, I literally did a Google search of superheroes from Des Moines, Iowa, and him, <laughs> he was one of the only that came up. Although, ironically, the leader is from Des Moines, Iowa. How did he not come up? Wow. Uh, that's that's the new New York City, Des Moines, Iowa. That's where all the superheroes and villains will congregate. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised nobody brought up Samson, even. I was oh, shocked, yes. too. I was wondering about that one. I know, and he was <laughs> totally cut out of that last movie, unfortunately. I thought some of those deleted scenes were pretty cool. Well, this is a first. We haven't really done a full-on two-movie back-to-back sequels yeah. uh, planned, anyway. Right. It worked so nicely. You know, I feel like my uh, my Grey Hulk movie maybe just ends up on an episode of the She-Hulk TV series. That will be like one of Mark Ruffalo's returns, and he's all of a sudden the Grey Hulk, and she's like, what are you doing? She'll bring him back down to his old self. But yeah, uh, wow, this was very fun. So, Kevin, thank you so much for being here and uh, giving us a great pitch to build off of. That was very impressive. I know I kind of plugged you up top, but why don't you tell people where they can find you, your personal blog? You can find me contributing fairly regularly over at the Retro Network. And uh, you can find my own blog is mastlibrary.com. And that's my handle on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all all the usual places yeah so a lot of fun stuff there guys like i say if, if you just enjoy looking back at you know music and comics and wrestling and whatever i mean just all the fun entertainment back in the day kevin will deliver up an interesting perspective and probably a lot of factoids you didn't know so definitely worth checking out one thing not regular for us uh, normally we're kind of deciding the next show up to the last minute but we managed to uh, put together our plans ahead of time coming up in april we will be discussing disney's the flight of the navigator with an old friend returning to the show eric he has uh, been on our mighty ducks episode and field of dreams even so wait he isn't on a sports episode can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, no, this is Pee Wee Herman playing a robot. All sorts of fun stuff to get into here. So uh, be sure to check that out. And if you want to watch Disney Plus in the meantime, it is streaming on there. But until next time, don't forget, we're always angry. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com or SQPod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. Actually, I forgot to tell you guys, too. I need, after I introduce you, you guys have to say your name and smash. So you gotta do Jeff Smash! Oh, yeah, I, I just forgot to mention that. I forgot. <laughs> uh, you're just supposed to know these things. All right, give it to us. What? What? Je- Jeff Now Smash. we're doing it right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll edit this out. Clearly. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. <laughs>